we're not technically on the bench, but we are on a couch and a chair all next to each other. Three riders, one microphone. What's Hi, up? Hi, everyone. Chris is just shaking his head. This is a rousing start to Knowles 24-7's On the Bench podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, and it's a treat because there are three of us all in one room. This has never happened before. I've always recorded the podcast remotely. Chemistry is going to be uh, tangible. Electric. It's going to be electric. Chris has just been staring at me the entire time and making me really uncomfortable. I don't like this. Josh isn't paying attention at all. And here we are. Welcome. So we have been at Bradenton's IMG Academy covering Florida State's practice the last few days. And <laughs> as Josh shakes his, his mane of hair, uh, I think... I want to start off by getting Josh's thoughts on what he saw the last few days. And granted, he spent more time driving from St. Pete to Bradenton than he did actually watching practice because the availability wasn't particularly good this week. Um, but Josh, you this is your first time seeing this team in person in camp, and, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on what you saw and just the, the general vibe from this time last year when you were covering the team at IMG. Oh, completely different. Completely different. And for good reason. I mean, they won five games last year. You're not going to come out with the same enthusiasm. And I shouldn't, and it's not like it's a funeral out here. It's just a different vibe. Last year was just everybody busting out of their cleats with excitement. I still think there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of intensity, but it's, it's just not the same as it was last year. You can tell that this team, this team doesn't mind what's being said about them. They understand that nothing's going to change until they hit that field. And you can tell that they are excited to be back out on the field. It's just a little bit different, wouldn't you say? I, I think business-like is how I would describe it. There's not as much playing around. There, there's a little bit, but remember last year IMG, there was the clip of Willie Taggart coming out and doing the you know, running out in, in the middle of the stretches yeah. and be really energetic. And I mean, he, the other day he's you know dropping some some profanity and stuff right. at the beginning of drill. He's just he's a little bit more tense he's, and I think he's this is... taking that energy into a different lane. Like right. instead of just bouncing around and, and trying to pump guys up, um, he's more in your face. I noticed during the inside run drills, he's right there in the middle, grabbing guys for the matchups that he wants to see. Right. And, and it, it maybe I don't I don't know. Maybe it is a little bit more focused on football. I think he's just settled in. I think as a group, they're settled in as program, as players. Guys that were here last year understand kind of how it operates down here. That helps with some of the young guys who are here for the first time, 20 or so guys. But I think in general, the program as a whole, and this has been true throughout the preseason, it's just, you know, there are five and seven football team who's trying to get better and trying to bring in new guys to improve their depth at positions and the uh, you know, on defense, we've talked many times about them with the multiple look, but in reality, it's more just a 3-4 look that we're seeing. They're trying to get their feel for that and see how effective it can be. Yeah, there's a lot of, well, to me, halfway through camp now, a little bit more than halfway through camp, it's clear this is still a team that's trying to figure out what works for it. You know, Chris, you alluded to the defense there, but I think it's just beyond the defense. They're mixing and matching a lot of pieces Right guard is still a position that's very much so being moved around day to day. We've seen glimpses of them trying to figure out where to put different skill guys in different places. Uh, you know, backfield, slot, out wide, whatever. You're, you're seeing that this is still a time of experimentation, trying to figure out who they are. And uh, I've I've kind of observed the last few days that there's it's not tense, but 
No, you know what? I'm going to say there's a little bit more tension the around coach, the program than there was. This I think time that's last a good thing. The coaches were crotchety on Tuesday. I mean, they, they were pissed off. They were, and we heard that yesterday. You know, this was a practice that was delayed for hours by rain. I think that's been irritating to coaches. You know, Willie Taggart, when we spoke to him today on, on Thursday morning ahead of practice, he he said, "Oh, maybe it's kind of a good thing because it teaches you how to adjust." And you know, certainly, we had you know, there were players dropping. <laughs> dropping some F-bombs when they were having to leave the field yesterday for the second day in a row. Uh, there is some some tension to coming down here. And, and as Josh said, and Josh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I, I think it could be a good thing, too. But I'm curious to why you think that. Why do I think that? Because it, I think that it's serious times. I mean, coming off 5-7, and seven, I think it's good to be a little bit pissed off. And I think it's good to have a little tension and pressure, apply some pressure to these guys um, before the season starts and let them know that it, we can't get off to another start like Vod Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, they got off to that start, and they went 5-7. and seven. They get off to the same start against Boise State. We might be fighting to get to 5-7. and seven. Um, So I think it's vitally important that these guys understand winning that first game and setting the tone and not looking back. And just and just you know going out and beating people from there. So, I I like what I'm seeing. Um, Want to switch it up to you guys because you're through two weeks of practice now. IMG is complete. So what you know? Start with Brandon. What have you learned about this program that you didn't know two weeks ago, or this team in general? Yeah, I, I think one thing that stood out is and this is from some observation and some sourcing, uh, I think that there is a fairly wide gap still between Willie Taggart's guys and the guys he's inherited. Um, and, and what I mean by that is you know, he, he's talked about this being a young team and how last year's team was young, and he's correct when he says that. I think you know, there were only a, a dozen seniors last year, and it's maybe a little bit more than that this year. What I've been told in practice uh, – the young guys, and, and especially with this freshman incoming class, which, you know, Chris, you asked him about that today, and he spoke really highly of that group, uh, he's still trying to find who he can trust in terms of mm-hmm. being intense consistently, who can basically apply what he wants, his ideolo- ideologies, onto the football field. And I've understood that that he hasn't always gotten that from some older guys on this roster, guys who were on the two deep, who you kind of had expectations going into camp of, of being contributors. And, and as the dog days of summer have kind of just start, you know, you guys know this from covering camps and being out at even, even seven on sevens or whatnot, it gets really hot out and you're out there for days at a time. You start figuring out who wants to play football and who doesn't. And the freshmen, and Willie said that today, that the freshmen – are pushing a lot of the older guys. I think what the next you know week and a half or so is going to reveal is do those older guys push back or not? Um, is this going to be a complete you know need for a youth movement? Are you going to be relying another straight year on, on freshmen and, and, and maybe some sophomores now? Uh, so I think that's been something that's been interesting is that the young guys have been pushing and pushing and more and more through camp uh, for legitimate playing time because the, the old guys aren't just straight up winning the jobs right now. We heard that last year too. And, you know, that was a blessing and a curse because you did have a lot of young guys having to play, but that's not always ideal. Well, that um, creates another set of problems. Right. But now those guys are a year older, like you said, and now there's an, another influx of talent. Right. So 
Uh, Chris, to you, um, what stood out to you these past two weeks? Well, we've learned that depth is better. There, are, you know, positions like linebacker, O line, definitely deeper groups, and it kind of plays into Brendan's point of younger guys pushing. It's a good thing. You see Dante Lucas pushing Mike Arnold, who's one of the weak. Dante Lucas the, straight up pushed Robert Cooper out of the way yesterday. Um, that was cool. Yeah, Lucas is pushing Arnold. Arnold is one of the more weaker links of the offensive line of the returning bunch, in my opinion. At linebacker, you got guys who are capable of depth that kind of allow for those guys to get blow when they need to come off the field. At DB, you got some studs with Akeem Dent, Travis J. Guys are getting really high returns. Derek McClendon's a guy who kind of seems to be setting himself up to maybe contribute as an edge rusher. Malcolm Ray, before his disappearance, was a guy that looked like he could be second, third team depth for the interior mm-hmm. defensive line. For so you see a lot of that. Malcolm Ray, real quick. We were told we'll get by there. Willie. Okay. I'll get there. All right, I'll all right. Yeah, keep going. Oh, some people are freaking out. I know. Okay. We'll get to it. All right. Freak out. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thing I haven't learned that's probably concerning to me is I don't know if the defense is working. Right. Like, I don't – they're doing a 3-4 look and trying to mix things up, multiple up front, generate a pass rush because talent-wise they may not have a guy who can do it, you know, of the sort of like a Brian Burns a season ago. So they're kind of trying to do it with the sum of all their parts. And I keep asking defenders, different guys asked uh, Said, Cedric, yeah, Cedric Wood Bruce. yesterday, asked Dennis Briggs yesterday, asked another one or two guys in recent days. Basically, are you seeing a return on what you're trying to do? Haven't really gotten a clear, good answer. I don't know if I'm asking the question poorly. Maybe that's the case. I, or I, I, maybe I, they're just trying to be coy. I don't know what it is. I but do think there is something to that. That the um, And I do apologize for interrupting, but I guess I still did it anyways. Um, I think they've been told to be very... Vanilla when talking about the defensive scheme, but we've uh, heard instructed in, to do that. We've heard in the last week that the offense has rarely gotten a better well, practice, which side is, of this. Yeah. in a preseason always a little bit of a concern. You know, one side wins, the other side's losing, so there's always concern with that. But usually, defense is ahead of offense. And in the last week, it sounds like the offense, which is a positive. FSU's offensive attack needs to be drastically better than it was a season ago. That's a positive, and I do feel like it's going to be better. I think they're better on the offensive line. I think the second-year receivers are kind of coming into their own, led by a guy like Keyshawn Helton, who we knew was a stud. I think Blackman's a little bit more of a stable force at the quarterback position, albeit having some blemishes of his own, but he is what he is. Running backs, you know, you got two guys at the top of the stable who are really good in Akers and LeBourne, so you know you got stuff over there. But they, it sounds like they consistently had high-level success, which is somewhat concerning to me. And that makes me wonder if basically if the quarterbacks and backs are comfortable in the backfield and able to do stuff. And if that's the case, and that means a pass rush and the ability to create pressure and havoc at the line of scrimmage is somewhat of a cause of concern. And Marvin Wilson's been out for a little bit of that stretch when the offense has been winning. And obviously Wilson's one of the best players on the team, so maybe that's playing a big role. But you need other guys to step like a step up. You need to see if a Robinson, a Kando, a Warner, a Gainer, if someone like that's going to create off the edge. And when Wilson's not able to play or needs to take a snap off, is that interior bunch, you know, Cooper, Briggs, Cedric Wood, Corey Durden, guys like that, are they going to be able to produce for you? That's what I want to see, what I want to learn, and what I think Saturday's scrimmage is so important about. If we come out Saturday's scrimmage and the offense is just torching and taking names, I'm kind of I'm going to start getting close to touching that panic button a bit on the defensive side of it. I, I once had a coach tell me that if the offense is outperforming the defense at almost this exact time in camp, like two weeks into it, then that's an issue. And that's something that's going to be concerning to, to follow throughout the season. Because that coach said, I've never been part of a team that 
that the offense. Or I don't know about you guys, but I watched the season last year, and uh-huh. I'm all for the offense. But that's a catch, outperforming the defense. That's a catch right? twenty two. In this day in college football, you want your offense to be really good. Offense can make up for a defense being bad. I'm just a little worried that defensive coordinator is running a system that isn't really his, that's, and they're trying to do things that they didn't really recruit to build for, and all those things kind of combined yeah. make me wonder if it's going to work in the end. That's a catch-22 camp, though, right? Yeah, when very much so. But, you, you don't know to the bullets fly. Right. but It's like Juwan Williams can look good in camp, and he did that times last year. <laughs> it's like last year. But the first snap of the boys <laughs> game, he could whiff and do horrible, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least. It's sort of a – sometimes you just got to have patience and wait to see how it plays out. Right, but, but I guess my point being is that – and I agree with that, Chris, but I guess what I was trying to get to is that the office can do something well. That means that – Conversely, the defense is doing something poorly, right? And vice versa. When right. the defense does something well, and we look at that at individual matchups all the time, and we put out the little practice clips, even though it can be informative and telling, it's one clip. Yeah. But for someone to do something well, that means someone else is doing likely something wrong. Yeah, right? it's someone a moment in time. We see 30, 40 minutes of a practice on a good day, and they practice for two and a half hours. So, you know, you're taking a glimmer of a moment, and sometimes we make too much or too little of a singular moment. Mm-hmm. The thing you like to see is a guy doing it day in, day out, on top of one another, consistently doing it and bringing the same level. You know, Keyshawn Helton's a guy, and I know I always bring him up, but every damn day we see him make a catch. That's a difficult catch, run around effectively, practicing at a high level and bringing it every rep. You know you can count on Keyshawn Helton. Like, he's made it abundantly clear. But there's other guys that you see really good moments, but you also see bad moments and kind of wonder where is it going to end up? Is it somewhere in the middle? Or is, did we just see a bad moment of a good day for a guy? Okay. Let's move it over to injuries. Um, some of the notable ones from camp are Marvin Wilson, Joshua Kando, and most recently Malcolm Ray. Um, we've been talking to Willie Taggart. He's commented on each multiple times this spring. Um, he's He seems fairly optimistic. I should say seems optimistic that all these guys are going to return for the season. How do you guys feel about the intel that we're given from Willie Taggart on these injuries? Well, Wilson, they were – they were short on exactly what happened with his knee. You know, we saw him go down. We know how bad it was. He got up. I, I know he was, you know, present at that practice later in the day, standing on his own two feet. The next day he's on a singular crutch with a knee brace. You know, we don't know if it's simply a sprain of some type type, or if he had a twinge in the knee and they're just being super precautionary. We don't know the specifics, so it's kind of tough to project a time frame when one's not being shared and the specific injury is not known. Right. We have heard... Likely a knee sprain yeah. uh, and a light ligament sprain, and that would be about two to four weeks typically with that type of injury, but but not confirmed for someone to, for me to – I feel more comfortable saying it on the podcast than I do actually writing it down and, and saying this is a real report because those are rumors right now. But right. that seems that seems to what we heard before uh, Willie Taggart went on record and put out a statement on it kind of follows in line where it's something they're not super concerned about. So what we heard beforehand matches up at least with, it, it sounds like it's you weeks, mo- you more long. concerned with the Marvin Wilson knee or Joshua Kando hamstring? Marvin Wilson, because he's a much more valuable player. He's actually done it. I'm more concerned with Kando, mainly because it's just a reoccurring history of, of him always having some injury. And, and with Wilson, I think we know he'll be back within, you know, a span of, from that injury, two to four weeks, uh, likely. Kando keeps rotating in and out of practice reps and, and like Chris said that pass rush is and don't get me wrong Marvin Wilson's a more important piece to the puzzle mm-hmm. for FSU but more concerning to you you need Kando to get as many reps as possible because he's been short of getting reps in recent years he had the you know, injury that basically limited him last year as well uh, 
you need someone outside to develop into a pass rusher to replace Brian Burns. That's going to be really hard to do if he's not practicing. I don't know. I just and there's not many other guys behind him. Like I like Coop and I like Corey Durden a lot, and I think said Woods had a nice camp. I'm, I'm more concerned about the the reserve defensive ends, but neither yeah. one's good. We but I did the the five or the forty most important FSU players before the unoriginal the, the, the unoriginal forty top forty, uh, and Wilson was two, Kando was four, and uh, Tamari and Terry I think was three, and those guys combined have missed more practices than they've played in the preseason. It's right. a little concerning. Yeah, and if Kando was playing at his potential, I think we would probably all say that that's a very important right. injury to watch, but we haven't, you know, we've seen flashes. But It's been exhausting waiting for him to yes. his potential. If only yes. every team could be Delaware State. I'm sorry I'm being snarky. Um, so let's switch it over to the offensive side of the ball. I know we all kind of agree that James Blackman is going to be named the starter. Do you think Taggart uh, names him after the scrimmage, or do you think this is something that we wait until game week for? Three to five days into the semester. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's probably you need to make sure no one transfers. But does, you, does that even prevent that from happening now? I, mean, I don't think Hornibrook would go anywhere anyways at this point. Or is that what we're alluding to, right, just for transparency? I, I, don't, I don't think anybody currently in the quarterback room on scholarship would transfer out of right. FSU. Travis wants to be there. Hornibrook's probably content being in Florida and learning more things for his future coaching career. Yeah, I, I don't think those guys are going to hop right. and jump. But it's just kind of a natural order for a coach to wait until into the semester now yeah. when there's a supposed quarterback. Right, battle. and for what it's worth, like I know we've kind of rolled our eyes at the quote-unquote quarterback battle, but James Blackman isn't taking every single first-team rep right now. Like, they are yeah. still mixing and matching. I don't I don't admittedly know the the ratio of you know first team reps for James Blackman to you know Alex Hornibrook, but there's still a little bit of changing there. I, but, but I'm not worried but about it. It doesn't. I'll just from my perspective, from being here, the way that James Blackman interacts with the coaches, the way that other players interact with him, it's clear that he's their leader and that he's going to be their starter. But he's very much been that way throughout his career. Now yeah. he's taken it to a different level, and he's certainly more comfortable in his skin and the maturity is showing. So there's growth in that regard. But he's always been that way. True. The interaction with the teammates has always been there. It's a big yeah. reason why last year a lot of us thought it should have been moved on to him because he was sort of a rallying cry potentially for that team. In the second half of the season when yeah. they needed some stability. We, I, we I, learned a valuable lesson last year. You can't lead from the bench. Right. No, right. You just can't. Except for on the bench podcast. <laughs> Five star reviews. I, I think it would behoove Willie Taggart and the entire football program to just come out and invest in James Blackman at this point. I thought they should have done that last year. I wrote that last year. I think internally they are, though. I mean, just from the interactions that I've seen, um, I feel like internally they are, but yeah, I, I mean, do like, understand take, what you're take saying. Take him to media day. Like, make him the face right. of your program, because he represents everything that you want your program to be. Um, maybe you want him to be a little bit more consistent and do some things a little bit better as a passer, but he's what you want yeah. in your program. I think that should be rewarded more than it's been to this point, to be honest. Running back, there's not much to take away outside of those two guys are healthy. And I keep Akers in bubble wrap for the most part with practices, and LeBourne gets a lot of burn and always looks good. And then Anthony Grant's kind of the guy that it will be interesting to see if he gets reps. But, man, he runs, he punishes people when he runs. It's fun to watch. He he likes to dislocate shoulders. Yeah, so we'll see uh, if he gets some burn this year. I, I'm I'm excited to see him after everything that we've kind of heard behind the scenes from our sources. Um, we've been hearing a lot of Anthony Grant for like the last 12 months now. He's always good in practice. <laughs> he is. That's he, the thing he, about he's, him. He's like, like a no drill uh, hero. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Uh, moving on to wide receivers, that's an interesting unit. Uh, having Warren Thompson back, 
you can only imagine what that's going to look like with Tamori and Terry on the other side. Hopefully, uh, Thompson has gotten over kind of the the homesickness. I'll call it homesickness. I think that's generally last year yeah. what it was yeah. from from people that I talked to around the Armwood program, from some former seven on seven coaches of his. Um, we all knew the maturity process was going to have to be there. We I openly said that on pods and Facebook Lives or whatever. He really loves his mama. He really loves his mama, but uh, Warren told me when I was up there for Saturday Night Live that in order for him to do the things that he wants to do, he's going to be living away from his mom and he's going to be living away from you know the, the things that he's used to. And I think it took him a minute to wrap his head around that and understand it. And like Chris has said, he just carries himself differently now. Uh, away from the field, on the field. Yeah, he probably gained, what, five, eight, ten pounds, somewhere in that range. But good. He's bulked he's up. Yeah, 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 in his shoulders, really well. in his chest. Yeah. And uh, he, look, he looks like a million bucks. Yeah, yeah he looks really good. He's but getting there. The whole group of second-year guys, him, Jordan Young, Keyshawn Helton, um, forgetting one or DeMarcus two. Demarcus Adams, Trayshawn Harrison. All have shown progress. Adams is a better route runner than he was a year ago. He has elite speed. Doing well in some of the blocking drills, too, which I didn't think would be a part yeah, of I heard game. he, you know, last year he was having a hard time practicing, mm-hmm. whether that be focusing or showing up or whatever. It was just an adjustment for him. And we were able to speak to him yesterday. And he, he said something, he alluded to that a little bit about getting used to practices. And also he commented on his own maturity. Um, so those are great things to see. I think, like you guys have mentioned a million times, that Keyshawn Helton's going to play a big role. Um, we got a glimpse of DeAnthony McGriff. <laughs> he looks the part, right? He looks the part. I'm impressed. I think it's a win-win for FSU. Uh, there's no scholarship used there. He very likely won't contribute, but if he does, hey, it's just it's a it's a plus. He Don't knows pass him up. He knows Don't the offense. He knows the offense he's coming into, right. which helps in a practice setting too. And, and Kendall Brown said. Well, the one time we've spoken to him, that I'm not gonna do it. The, the one time that we spoke to him, that uh, that the wide receiver talent was and skill talent in general was really high, but the wide receiver depth, depth wasn't yeah. what he wanted. He would like another two to three. So in that's that a room. that's a, a body. For, mm-hmm. for I think Dugans has been good for that room too. I think those guys really like Dugans. That's not shorting, you know, DK from last year. I just think Dugans has really connected with that bunch. They like working with him. And I feel like Dugans and Browse chemistry is really, really good for two guys who had not previously I, worked I, together. That's one thing uh, we can maybe paint a picture of. Like those two work really well together in the individual portion of practice when they combine quarterback and wide receivers. Uh, they're both their coaching guys up simultaneously, but it just seems really organic. Uh, one will say something, clap it up. The other one will get back in line and, and show the next wide receiver what to do. They play off each other. Very, they don't very step well. on each other's toes. No, it's good. It's good. I like I like what I've seen from that, and you know we've talked about this before. This is the offensive staff. I think more that Willie Taggart envisioned uh, when he was hired. When he was hired, and and based on the intel we've had, it sounds like this offensive staff is confident with with what they're able to produce this year. All right, um, guys. This isn't coffee that I'm drinking. This is Kool Aid. I've been watching the offensive line group, and I'm convinced that they're better. They are. They tell me I'm wrong. They Somebody tell me I'm wrong. They couldn't be a lot worse. They they are. Um, Chris alluded to the depth earlier. Right. That's certainly better. Just the optics, like the group looks more like a, what you want your offensive line. Baby on like. Johnson in the middle. Davion like. looks good. I like his presence and what he brings there. Ryan Roberts has been a stabilizing force at right tackle. I'm calling Ryan Roberts the ghost because we like never know he's there. He doesn't really mess anything up. He doesn't really ever get yelled at. He's just kind of. He doesn't get like praised for doing something amazing too. He's just kind of. He's there. He's present. Kind of he's there. doing his job. Uh, I like Brady Scott on, on le- at left guard. I think he's solid. I think that's good for him to find a home. 
you know, Jawan Williams is kind of the wild card of that group as far as I'm concerned. I know we're he still... He looks better. He does. He looks he's like the weight's been better. distributed. It wasn't that he was in bad shape last year, but it just looks more distributed. Out. He looks better. more filled yeah. out, and it's not just a matter of putting weight on. It's um, a matter of filling the frame with strength and muscle. And then what we've written about this is that, you know, he's, he's looking better in the blocking drills and more confidence. The caveat, the, the asterisk that we have to put onto it, though, is, you know, what happens in the game when something goes bad. Is he... Wasn't there... Wasn't there, and it may not have been him specifically, but just reminded me, wasn't there a moment the other day where, like, five guys jumped off sides on the offensive line, like, in a really short period uh, of time? I think it was the last practice in Tallahassee that we attended. They they really ramped up the tempo, and there were quite a few false starts. He was among them. He was far from the only one. Um, I believe there were, you know, a guard jump, not uh, Brady's side, but one of the right guards. I can't recall specifically. It was Dante or Mike. Um but, yeah, they had a couple issues with that. But they were also ramping it up. Randy was trying to really insanely push the tempo. They they always go very fast. They do their four board drills very quickly, succinctly, about 30 seconds for four reps. He was probably trying to shave 10 seconds off that, doing each one about five seconds, which means run the drill, get back, move the board, run the drill, get back, readjust, turn, run the drill, you know, bang, 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 bang. And in doing so, there was a little – with that group, it's clear there's some fatigue that has set in. Mike Arnold was struggle busting yesterday in a brief time camp, around dude. there. This has been a tough Ryan camp Roberts, for everyone. the day before, you know, took a moment, looked like he needed to just hydrate more and kind of took a moment for himself. Mm-hmm. And there's been others. Yeah. Those are two guys that I specifically saw having those they moments. Dante to, sat out a rep yesterday and then came in on the second group of reps right before the horn sounded. Josh overheard. Did you overheard someone saying they were just being pushed or stressed? No, or I watched um, Ryan Roberts at the beginning of practice yesterday step out of one of the early drills and it looked like he was on the side getting some ankle flexed. I won't even say work done. Maybe mm-hmm. just simply as a stretch, maybe looking at something and then he got back in the drills. And then when we were leaving, it was probably 15 minutes later, me and Chris walked by him and he had a trainer. He was on a knee trainer kind of had his hand on his shoulder and Ryan was you know, feverishly drinking a Gatorade. So it looked like at Power that point, Powerade. It was a don't let Odell hear that Gatorade. Edit that, Brendan. Um, it was <laughs> no. It that was clearly exhaustion. I mean, when so I don't think um, there's any injury concerns with Roberts at this no. point. No. But yeah, you know, hey, it, it this, this, this is camp, yeah, this is tough. I, I like it. I think that when you apply some pressure, good things come out. It's like and, Junction Boys in this bitch, <laughs> a little bit. Hot muggy and. So we've also seen some young guys play. It looks like Dante yeah. Lucas has nearly entrenched himself with the first team. He, every time we think he's for sure done it, they right. kind of—I don't know—they're just messing with us or what. They whatnot. can't just give it to him though. That's true. He and, has earned. Yeah, it, they, and they got to find the best five. And we heard that Lucas may have like kind of rubbed some people the wrong way the other day too. I'm okay with that. And well, that's fine too. That's you need kind of a edginess, a, a D for lack of a better letter to use. Yeah, you need that guy kind of on your. They've lacked that in recent years, but you know he. Dante Lucas a is a better lineman than Mike Arnold. And you need to get him. He is. <laughs> Let's just be matter of fact about it. FSU will be a much better offensive line if Dante Lucas is right. playing. They Mike just want Arnold him to be a consistent practice player, and that means being professional all the time. And, and whatnot. that's fine. That's part of one's worked hard to get himself in better shape, better strength. Yeah. The other one still doesn't look very good physically. Yeah, Dante Lucas is a badass. He's going to start sooner or later. I would put money on him starting against Boise State. 
Right now, let's go around. Does he start against Boise State? I think he very likely does. No, no, no. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Which I can't believe I'm saying because for a long time I didn't. I think I always thought it was going to be a play, poor play, replace him. That's when like in week four or five, right? Early, but yeah. But yeah, I agree. I've gravitated away from that too. Yes, but your best five. He's one of the freshmen we like. Yeah. So what guys from the 2018 and 2019 classes outside of Lucas do we see contributing on the offensive line this year? On the from 2018 to 2019. I think Ira Henry if they're able to play some mop-up time, get some second-team duties here and there. Uh, Darius needs to reshape his body a little bit, but he'll be fine. Maurice Smith is going to be a good center. I just don't think he's relied upon this year. I think Baselli will be your number two at center. Um, who else is there? That's On the offensive line, I mean, it's mostly older guys for that part. I, I think Darius has looked good for what it's worth, but yeah, he's put on a lot of weight and he does need to reshape it. Ch- Chaz Neal is... He uh, needs Ira Henry game. looks the part. Oh yeah, Chaz Neal is a good. Chaz Neal needs to get game reps. They will help him yeah. a great deal. Yeah, Jalen Goss Chaz is willing to stick yet. his nose in the fan, but from a technique standpoint, he still is working very T- hard. To answer your question, I think right now the only one, Josh, that we can rely on on a two deep to start the season is Dante Lucas, yeah. and he may be right. very well starting. Right. No. Yeah, and I agree with that. I just meant what? Who from those two classes do we see contribute? Meaningful minutes this season and beyond the offensive line though now yeah yeah let's move because I think I think I think if we go beyond the offensive line a whole lot (laughs) a whole lot but if we want to focus on the freshmen um and I know that's what a lot of our listeners are going to care about on the defensive side of the ball I think FSU put out in its practice report that uh that that Travis J had back to back pick sixes to end practices Mm -hmm. some consecutive days of that and uh, digging a little deeper on it yeah it sounds like he's a badass and. And he's exactly what they thought he was going to be. I know, I thought maybe by the end of the recruiting process, he could have been their their best player in that class. Just was not sure how he would transition from going to playing you know smaller classification of football at a really good school, uh, but in Madison, but you know having to go against a higher competition level like each and every day. He's apparently done that remarkably well. Akeem Dent is right there with mm-hmm. him though as someone who, and that's not a surprise. We kind of thought that he would be a, a early contributor. He's someone who just has to be consistent. He runs hot and cold with, with what he does. Um, not intensity or effort, but just more being steady with technique and whatnot. But that's part of the growing process. Brendan Gant is another one who I think he's a badass. And uh, we've seen that in practice. He'll, he'll hit you. So those, yeah, are three that, those are three that I think on defense make really early contributions. Who is it? Derek McClendon. Yeah, McClendon will be one. Dante Lucas is one we've brought up as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a singular linebacker that kind of emerges as a primary guy. Talk about think, Jaleel McRae real quick. This well, it's been kind he, of a weird preseason. Right. He had such a good spring, and some of that was built on scrimmages and him making big plays and kind of forcing the subject with his play. I don't think he's had a bad preseason, but he's had a fairly very quiet one. We, we see Raymond Woody coaching up, and he does it with everyone, but it, he's clearly putting a lot of attention onto Jaleel McCray. And I don't know if that's because he expects a lot of things from him. I don't know if that means he needs a lot of coaching, but... Uh, just the little minutia aspects of running each of these drills, like taking the right, you know, first step, stuff like that. Woody is on him, and I, again, I'm not sure if that's out of disappointment or out of like we need you to be. A I, I think it's us. out of I think this guy can be good, right. and I want him to get there, and I'm willing to invest time. You don't waste your time with a guy who ain't gonna help you. For sure, and there's been a lot of time on him, but that was the guy that I thought would be. Easily in the two deep at the start of camp, and maybe even some of the based on what he did in the spring, jumping to to push for starting reps, and, and looks like at least through two weeks, there's a little bit more time. I know. Needed. I know we hit hard on 2019 guys, but if you look at 18, 21 guys enrolled in that class, and it's about halfway 
guys contributing, not contributing. Would be obviously a contributor. Samuel Jr., obviously a contributor. Cooper, Thompson, we expect to be one. Harrison, we expect to be one. Amari Gaynor, definitely going to have a first or second team role. Cam McDonald, we feel like, has taken a big leap at that position. Uh, let's remind Josh, he glossed over tight ends, so they're not people. Um, <laughs> but McDonald definitely taking a step up. Dennis Briggs, a guy that I think we all feel is very likely to be a two-deep contributor. Jordan Young, I don't know how much he plays it here, but I feel like he's trending in the right direction at this point. Anthony Grant, we professed our love for him earlier. Christian Armstrong's an offensive lineman. We forgot earlier he's a two-deep left guard. Yeah. If they needed him, he could handle it. Not he, yet he a starting looks material a little guy. better than last year. Um, talked about Chaz Neal, and of course, the lowest-ranked player in that class. Recruiting rankings don't matter. Keyshawn Hilton. So, Good. about half that class. But then you have other guys in that class, like Xavier Peters, who has already left. Malcolm Lamar, who's a little bit of a tweener stuck in the middle. Maybe should be an offensive lineman. That's just personal opinion. Isaiah Bolden, who's been banged up. Christian Meadows. Who no, we don't have to go with the Stop, 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 stop. All right. right. Take him back over. So Josh, before we that. take a break and switch to vegan, I want to talk to... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of vegans real quick, hey, hippie boy. What were, what were your thoughts on covering practice? Um, I think they treat you guys like shit. <laughs> And I'm just glad I don't have to cover the beat because you guys are so beaten down. You guys are like battered. I'm not new year, new me. You guys are like in a battered relationship. Um, I can't believe some of the stuff that they make you guys. I'm not going to um, complain too much, but it's just I, I'm glad uh, I'm not on the beat. There, there'd be a, there'd be some issues. Well, there's probably some people in that case that are glad that you're not there every day too. Oh, be, I'm sure. It would be combative. No, it, it works it, great. It would be very different. It works great for me. Um, it was fun having you out there and having a, a fresh set of eyes to see things from a different perspective. We had uh, Baby on Johnson call you a hippie. That was good. I yeah, like that. Yeah, Chaz Neal yeah. made some comments. Uh, Warren Thompson made some comments. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. pretty fun. All these guys knew you when you had, like, normal hair. I don't know. I, I think it's just working maybe in the sports world. Like, people, I guess, don't have long hair. I, I don't know what the fascination is. That's true. I don't get it. Um, but I did want to talk about two guys that have had a quiet camp, and that's Levante Taylor being mm-hmm. one of them. Um, what have you guys seen from him? How does he look? Is he healthy? What's the deal going on with Levante? Do you want me to have at Levante? it? Um, he's still transitioning to safety. They really like what he can do from a versatility standpoint in that safety role, someone who they think they can move down to the line of scrimmage and, and play the slot sometimes. Um I was told that he had a really nice start to camp, but haven't heard a whole lot since then. I know yeah, we've first seen, week was strong right. off a bit. I know we've seen Carlos Becker get weaved in a little bit too. So and and I don't expect Carlos Becker to be a starter this season, but they've clearly given him a look. And I don't know if that's an indictment on. Uh, admittedly, this is me not knowing whether it's an indictment on Levante not practicing well, or maybe he's a little fatigued or dinged up, and they're kind of just being precautionary with the. Almost knocked my coffee off the table. Precautionary with him. Uh, but I do know they like what they have in him. They feel comfortable there with him at safety. Uh, I'm not too worried about that just yet because he had a good first week of practice. Uh, we'll see, I guess, how the next week and a half goes or so. Or so goes. Goes so. so. Who's the other one, Newberg? Uh, Jaden Woodby. Oh. Lars Woodby. Jaden Lars Woodby. Um, there's just you know a lot of uncertainty over he's exactly starting, what he, his role he, is going to be. He's starting at middle line. Or, Weeks out linebacker, okay. he'll start. I don't know how much confidence I can have, and I, I'm not saying this to be mean to DeKalen Brooks, because I really actually personally like DeKalen Brooks a lot. 
but but <laughs> confidence in what they're attempting to do defensively with getting the best eleven on the field will be a tough thing to try to sell and believe in if Woodby is behind Brooks. Jaden Lord Woodby has moved up to the ones since IMG Academy has started, and I don't think that means DeKalen's not going to play. I think they're going to try to rotate them in. Uh, but if you are talking about getting your quote-unquote best 11 on the field from a talent perspective, any lineup that doesn't have Jaden Lars would be in it isn't one of your best 11. He allows you to do so much. He can move around. He defends the pass far better than anybody else in that group, in my opinion. He's also filled out that frame very well and is certainly a guy that can come down and finish plays. So, mm-hmm. like, he, he's become the versatile weapon he needs to be to be a linebacker, and he's a linebacker. I know people, people were worried about well, who was getting the first team reps, and we're kind of – Implicit and writing about that each and every single day and, and why people freak out. But what I try to tell them is like, wait for that first scrimmage. Like mm-hmm. then the depth chart starts making a little bit more sense because the coaches are still trying to figure that stuff out. You know out what the first too. scrimmage is? Saturday. Moving day. <laughs> it literally is moving day because I'm helping my girlfriend move in on Saturday. <laughs> so it hits a little different when she you say hippie. it like that. Yeah, I'm not a hippie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not a hippie, but you're not not a hippie. You're, you're a new age hippie. I'm not a hippie. You're like FSU's multiple front defense. You're a hybrid hippie. <laughs> All right. And there's elements. You may not live in a van, but you would be perfectly comfortable doing so. Brendan, take us to commercial. Do you have sage? Answer me three questions. Are you wearing a headband right now? Yes. Do you have sage in your house? Yes. <laughs> Should everybody? Do you have something else in your house that would not be repeated? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't everybody? We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. We're back. Hippie Newberg. Hi, guys. Let's talk some recruiting. 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 Yeah, it's been a little bit quiet because it's the dead period. So that makes and FSU also did sense. a job kind of filling up before the dead period. They did a great job filling up. I think credit where credit's due. They did, they did an awesome job filling needs. So I think what we're going to do here is recalibrate, see what FSU has remaining, kind of go what the recruiting board looks like now. And, and In other words, that, we're, that we're running down the top ten. We're doing yeah. a top ten, and, and Josh has been working on the top ten, if I'm not mistaken, while recording the podcast, too. So yeah. this is a quote-unquote fluid. I think it's a good time to come out with the top ten most wanted. Um, we haven't had one since before Saturday Night Live, so... You guys know how that goes. I take off anybody that is committed to Florida State. It's only the remaining targets. And a bunch of guys came off the board. Thomas Schrader, Jalen Knighton, Lawrence Toofilly, uh, Morvin Joseph. All these guys were making up part of the top ten last year. Um, so I'm going to probably – Last month. I'm going <laughs> to probably drop that uh, later today or first thing tomorrow. Like 
But Florida State currently sits number nine overall, second in the ACC. They have 21 commitments. We expect them to take, oh, 25-plus, somewhere in the 25 to 28 range. Uh, Chris, wait, How do those numbers work, Josh? There's only 19 spaces. Oh, wait, now there's 20 because of Jalen Parks. That's how those work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, we forgot to mention that on the podcast that Jalen Parks was medically disqualified. Well, yes. Hopefully people read the site, too. Yeah. In, in, uh, that all opened it up, like we said. Conspiracy theories. FSU felt like they had 19 available scholarships heading into the fall. Parks makes 20. There's going to be more attrition to come. Uh, there always is. A couple guys leave early for the NFL, medical DQs, whatever it is. I like the word attrition, by the way. Like, it makes – whenever you say it, it makes you sound really important. Like, you know what you're like, like – I like to think to somebody, anything that I say sounds really important. Shut up, Sonom. <laughs> so, reworking the top ten, I think – you know, we're not, I'm not going to run down this entire list, but – Starting at the top, there's no question the number one overall remaining target for Florida State. Who do you think it is? Wait, we're starting from one? That's yeah, just, just guess. Who do you think the most important? Savelle Smalls. <clears throat> Definitely, without a doubt, impact offensive tackle Isaiah Walker um. out of Miami, New Orleans. Uh, Savelle Smalls is certainly going to be in the top three. Yeah, they definitely don't out. need a pass rusher, guys. We didn't spend 20 minutes talking about that. On the oh, they do. Earlier. They they definitely do. But the ever elusive early impact. There can only be tackle. one number one. <laughs> there is no question that having an offensive tackle that can come in and compete right away has been something that this staff has been searching for long before Willie Taggart arrived. Um, so it would be nice to get Isaiah Walker signed. Uh, that decision won't be made until probably December, so we're a far way off there. But the top five is probably going to consist of um, Savelle Smalls, work Jalen Harrell in there some way because, like you said, it's a very important position, that pass rushing deal. Uh, Florida State is going to fall you – know, is going to find that they need to add talent there, and they need to add guys that can come in and play right away. So – very important to have those Jalen Harrell and Savelle Smalls in the top five. Arian Smith still hanging on. I think FSU has work to do there, but FSU wants to sign another wide receiver. And I think uh, signing one of the top, one of the fastest prep athletes in America would be just what they need. So you guys like Dejon Edwards a whole lot. Uh, well, I we, think he'll be the third back in the class. When? In a class where they need three backs. When? I thought, didn't we hear, I can't even remember where we were. Zach started. spoke to him following Saturday Night Live, like a few days following Saturday Night Live after you had interviewed him during his departure from and Saturday Night Live. putting a crystal ball on him right after. Um, and I believe at that point he indicated probably into his season would be a decision time frame. So he's not in a massive rush. Kind of keeps a low profile. He's not a kid that. I, I like him as that being your number three back in the class. Yeah. I'm completely fine. Get him down for a game or two early in the season. It's an hour ride for him, basically. Give me a South Don't Georgia kid that runs game. hard all the time, and we'll go from there. And FSU, some of the target, some of the target board has shifted because of the limited space remaining. So it becomes about needs and talent, not simply acquiring something to acquire something. That right. that that period of recruiting for FSU, where they got guys they wanted. The period of taking because they need to take has kind of ended, and now it's about going and getting what you really have to have and really, really want. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't this kind of a similar spot where they were at last year too with the recruiting class, where they but they didn't have commitments from some of the guys that they kind of had penciled in as expectations. Sure. And then things drastically like shifted by halftime. That was the guy they thought they had locked up. And, and things drastically shifted by halftime in the V Tech game with the ability for <laughs> them to recruit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, the expectations they were recruiting off of were erased, and there was a whole new set that was far more dim and loud. Or they changed things. I guess, I guess the point that I was trying to make is that the staff has done a nice job consecutive years of filling spots in the preseason and getting them in position to where they can do good stuff in the fall and finish the class strong. Yeah. That's contingent, obviously, on they what we always talk about well. here is you have to win games. I think the difference this year is they found guys that they know are kind of with them through. They're not having no re like they, They've got a very solid yeah. group. Like a King Dent even was someone they had to keep recruiting until a bit better, eh, the bitter end. I don't think they're going to have a whole lot of those guys this year. Yeah, only if it completely bottoms out does that get. Yeah, was it, was it weird doing the top ten, Josh? Like with. Should it be really like a top six? It should be a top six, so I'm not going to leak the names right now, but I'm probably going to put use the last two spots, nine and ten, on those kind of reach guys. Players, recruits that FSU wants desperately, but might, might not be in the mix for today, but could be in the mix for if we get a nine-win season. What I like to refer to as a plus one. Yes. So, um... I think Savelle Smalls is more than a plus one. I would bump him into um, in the mix for FSU. Thoroughly. Thoroughly they just in need the mix, to win right. with him. Whereas, um, spoiler alert, Donnell Harris... <laughs> Number 10? ...would be a good guy if I was going to put in in the 10 spot because yeah. he's been to campus once. FSU's not in his most recent top five. But we know he's been to campus. He's a... Booker T. Well, where did he transfer to? He's at Gulliver now. We know Kelly Lockett's still in communication with him, Mm -hmm. his coaches, and his father. FSU was working to try to come in before the dead period began between SNL and that, what, Wednesday or Thursday where the window closed. They weren't successful in getting him in. He only went to Texas A&M, I believe, in that span of time. He went over that weekend when SNL was. Um, But he's a guy they want. They're still actively pursuing, and it's a position where they need to have options. You know, Jalen Harrell's a talented kid, but he's not on the level of a Smalls. Right. And I think Harris isn't as good as Smalls, but he's not far off. Right. No, I agree with that. And I think leaving a little bit of room at the end of that list for some maybe guys at the end is smart uh, for FSU and for us. Um, yeah, uh, we want to round out recruiting out there. I think there's one more thing we got to talk about. Are we good with recruiting? Yeah. What is the? What do we have to talk about? There is alcohol and dope. Oh, can I, man, as someone who really enjoys alcohol, it would be nice if they just had a cool PR moment moment and like stuck the landing with it. Like, why are they forcing people to drink it? Explain and the they, rules, Chris. In the concourse. That They're make going any to sense. create. Five areas where they will sell alcohol, three outside the stadium for pregame tailgate, two inside the stadium to be designated at a future time. Those two areas you can purchase, but you also have to drink in those areas, which means you can't come down and go to beer. Who's chugging wine? There are people out there who will chug wine. I know, some, girl. I know some girls. She <laughs> I know some girls that will chug some wine. Um, so those areas are basically going to be chugging zones. Now, my concern is are they going to have TVs where you can see the game or the line is going to be efficient where they move quickly, where somebody can go down at the start of a media timeout and come back up before a whole set of downs has been run through. But let me get this straight. If you're rich and you can get sweet tickets, you can drink at your seats, yeah. right? Okay. And you can easily go up to a bar up in those areas in the Champions Club and get a drink, yeah. I, I, I'm of the opinion it's a moneymaker. Sell it in the whole damn stadium. If you need to figure out something where you're concerned about drunkenness and, you know, do the wristband thing where people have to get ID'd at the beginning of the game, kind of like you do at basketball where you get a wristband and make it, you know, a hole punch system. And maybe not have somebody walking around selling canned beer in the stands because you're worried about people just buying, buying, buying. But 
be where you can walk down to your concession stand near your area, get a beer, go sit down and watch the game. But people who want to be drunk are going to be drunk. Are going to be drunk. I understand though, from as you're a big state institution and there's a lot of money that runs there, you don't want to be complicit in in someone getting hammered and then getting like a DUI or you know hitting someone with the car. Like I understand that. What doesn't make sense though is you set up this area to basically chug beer. Like, what do you think that's going to promote? Like, I think it's gonna they're gonna have signs like "chug your beer here." But that's essentially what it comes. That's how it comes off as based on their what we read. We'll see how it's executed. Some people want to say it's a soft launch, and yeah, it is to a degree. But I just think it's. I'm not convinced it's going to be very well executed. It kind of reminds me of busing routes in Tallahassee this week. Where a whole lot of people are like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're still going to do it anyway. So if they have two beer stands, right, do you anticipate, like, two beer pourers? Or I don't know. I mean, like, I, one would hope you have, like, like a whole gallery. 15 yeah. people pouring like, beer. Like, because let's this get is, this thing going. Yeah, because if you can't take it back to your seat, you're going to have congestion in the in the pathway there. If you're you're going to have a it, bunch of right. people waiting in lines because you're not selling at every concession. You're only selling it at that's, two concessions. Have it, that's have my it issue be wide. Have it have defined lines. Have it have TVs over it. Have it be a decently sized area so you can stand and watch that for a while. Work. Maybe have some fans in it. Do it right. My concern is I'm not real convinced that this is going to do it right. That's Just based on recent too. history of launching things. I'm not a marketing expert. I, this isn't something I'm privy to like knowing everything about. Just... From the outside looking in, you have the opportunity to do something that's good for business, uh, and you have the ability to sell the message, and you just miss it again. It just it's constantly, and it just just get it right. If you're gonna do it, just embrace it and do it the correct way, like you just said, Chris. I think that makes more sense. Well, I don't know. Just just do it right if you're gonna do it. They've sold beer at basketball for what twenty years now. In baseball, mm-hmm. it's a good years. efficient experience. Been no issues. Baseball, it's been multiple years. It's not yeah. an issue. It's people who are going to have an issue with it are the same people that are going to sneak a Ziploc in in their crotch and drink way too much. I mean, for the love of God, like you can't fix a drunk. Yeah. All right. Don't so, look at me when you say that. <laughs> look at you, man. Before we stick the You're connoisseur in, fine liquors. <laughs> let's all share a uh, good drunk moment in Doke. In Doke, I've never been. Well. I've pretty much worked my entire adult life in Doak. I got a few good ones. I have a good one that I can't share on the yeah. on the podcast. Um, I'll share one. We were, I uh, what was the rain game with uh, Roscoe Parish getting knocked out? Oh four or oh five? Uh, well, we played Miami at home in. It? it was oh four or five. Whatever the Roscoe Parish rain game was. Can I call and a friend? <laughs> my my dad's my dad's friend was a was a big time booster. Where did you kill Roscoe and Parrish? Wasn't going to the game, so I was a student there. My brother, my younger brother, was a student there, um, and he gave us four tickets on the thirty yard line, row one, and I believe the hit occurred on like the fifteen or the twenty. So we were right there, first row, Roscoe Parish rain game, torrential downpours, as you guys know, and we were in the front row, so. All the water was streaming down in like two feet of water where it was at our feet. We were just we you couldn't be wetter. Yeah. If you jumped in a pool. If you went to that game, you left. So we were hammered. Even if you had a poncho. Um, you know, we would always bring the liquor in the plastic bag, do that whole thing. And like in the third quarter, me and my brother had missed some snaps because we had to keep going to the bathroom. And my brother's friend who was with us, we look over at John, and we're like, John, like, you gotta go to the bathroom? And he looks at us and he goes, 
I've just been letting it ride. <laughs> we're like, what? He's like, dude, we're soaking wet. Like, what's the issue? We're like, that's that's sick. That's sick. I mean, no one, no one complains if you pee record. in the ocean. I know. I know. And we were, you know, I was probably 21. They were like 19 or 20. And it was fun. There was some other moments. I don't think I've been so drunk that I pissed myself. First time I took my brother to a game. <laughs> this is just Josh is letting it all out right now. First time I take my my little brother game. I'm a freshman and he's a sophomore junior in high school. And him and his friend Elliot come with me. Both of them are still in high school. And you know, I, I show him how to sneak the bag in. So we take a big bag of whiskey. You walked over from Indian Village. Yeah, we walked. Over, I lived in Indian Village, and we walked over from Indian Village, and we have this whiskey bag that's going to last us the whole game. So I tell my brother and Elliot, like, "Hey, chill here. I'm going to go get a coke." I come back took me a while and I come back and I'm like, all right, so let, give me the bag of whiskey. We'll pour it in this Coke. They both look at each other. They had drank the whole bag of whiskey. They didn't understand why I was going to get the Coke. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's a few more, but those are some good ones. I can't share any. The, uh, was it the Maryland game where Burger King the king ran across the field? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I presume that guy was drunk. Yeah, I think he was in Indian Village before the game, too. So. Yeah. He did a hell of a job making it across the field, too. <laughs> Probably needed oxygen as he got arrested. All right. Good times. We should stick the landing pretty soon here. All right, guys. Um, if you like those stories, go subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us five stars. Do that whole thing. And Brendan will be happy. I will be happy. My uh, my validation and my whole existence is very much so tied to those five star reviews. So. Our hope is this is the last podcast we ever do from IMG, by the way, and from this hotel room because I think it is. I, I presented a question to to you guys, to the beat, to everybody that was standing around yesterday as we were waiting to be allowed into practice, and I said, if it wasn't a two year contract and all things were equal, do you think they would have pursued this venture nope. for a second? They time would not have come down this year. I'm no, s- simply from confident. a financial standpoint, I don't think it's in Coburn's wheelhouse to want to do this again. It's 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 expensive. Right? It's a couple hundred thousand bucks, basically. And to had do it. a couple days more or less delayed by rain. Yesterday was cut short by the rain, so you're missing out on maximization there. I don't think it's a horrible thing. I just you don't think it's a necessity. Yeah. I think it was really cool to do it last year. Um, I think the repeat of it wasn't necessarily needed. To maybe it's something yeah. you do every few years or so if you feel like you kind of have to as a coach to get guys away, but uh, this seemed like it was more of a hassle and, and wasn't really helpful to what you ultimately were trying to do. You can't do it in the spring now, right? Did the NCAA enact a role where you can't travel for spring practice? I'm not sure. Like this would be a better. This would be better in the spring, in the spring than it would now. I think. Um, I do not believe FSU would have pursued this if they didn't have the contract to fulfill. Um, that being said, I think they've made the most of it. Um, I don't blame IMG at all for them winning five games last year. I do take that <laughs> IMG. <laughs> so I, I think they're making the best of it. But I agree with you. I think this is the last podcast that we do from Bradenton. Uh, Think about it this way, like, we opened up the podcast saying that they're trying to get a lot of stuff done, right, and there's not a whole lot of time to do it. They're still trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to figure out whether the defensive scheme is working. They're trying to figure out who's a playmaker for them, and you have multiple practices delayed uh, because you don't have the indoor practice facility here. You have a lot of time that you're spending traveling to and from. Uh, Yeah, this year didn't seem like the most efficient and maximum, you know, way to maximize what you need to get done. But all in all, I I'm, I don't sweat it much. It, it, man, last year we made a big deal that IMG was awesome, and it, it seemed like it was fun. They had a good time, but like the season starts, you lose a game, and, and guys start unraveling. Guys who 
who emerged as leaders during IMG and then all those good feelings and and you know DeAndre Francois singing at the piano with Janarius Robinson kind of goes out the window. So can you put yourself in a position to win? That's what it's all about. Hey, real quick, this upcoming week, podcast schedule should be really, really full with some um, – I'm going to kind of like nerd out and do a lot of inside football type of stuff. Uh, so we'll have that. Hopefully every single day next week we'll have a podcast of sorts. So Let's that, go. So we'll have that to look forward to. Unfortunately, I'll be hosting it, but the guests will probably be really good. So Media day is Sunday. We'll get assistant coaches, which will be nice because we've only gotten a coordinator so far. So we'll have some more of that. Newberg's going to check out more videos on Twitter. Instagram. Oh, I'm sorry. Ooh. It was on the Insta. Can they tell if you're looking, like, if you click on someone's Instagram's live, or not the live feed, but, like, the stories, can they tell if you're looking at it? Yeah. Uh-oh. Who All right. <laughs> With Nolts 24-7s on the bench podcast, this is Brendan Snow, Josh Newber, Chris Nee. We were all on the bench in a hotel room. It got weird. Five-star reviews. Talk to you later.